You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Jeff Mayfield, director of charts and senior analyst at Billboard Information Group, goes on the record online. There are already more albums being released than any store, no matter what size, could digest, unless you're talking about a virtual store like Amazon or Tower.com. There are already in the vicinity of 30,000 albums being released when it was only physical. Last year, as a result of digital distribution, the number of albums you could buy, including the ones you could buy in cyberspace, more than doubled. There were more than 60,000 album titles that were, that were released in the marketplace last year, if you include the digital stuff. That's more than anyone can keep track of. And thank you for downloading another episode of On the Record Online, uh, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. This is the place where we do in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as, uh, from time to time, influential bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers. And the subject is always how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. Uh, Today we have a one-on-one interview with Jeff Mayfield. He is the director of charts at Billboard. Um, He is responsible for the Billboard Hot 100 and so many other charts that they uh, currently are distributing. As we'll hear, um, fragmentation has has led to more charts and more to measure. Uh, Not a surprise to our longtime listeners. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Eric Schwartzman. I host the show. I'm also the founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation, and that is a web-based platform uh, that's used uh, to reach online audiences. Uh, It's used by us for clients, and it's used by clients themselves um, to search engine optimize their content, manage content, distribute video and audio on demand, uh, email market, and measure the results. Um, And I am also personally and professionally fascinated at how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Uh, If you are in the Los Angeles area and you want to learn more about blogging, podcasting, and new media, uh, you might consider taking uh, my class, which I'm teaching at UCLA, starting uh, January 24th, 2007, uh, evenings, Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We're going to have some great uh, speakers, guest speakers come in, including Sally Falco uh, is going to come in and talk about blogging. Phil Gomes of Edelman is going to be in talking about blogging. We're going to have Rob Barrett. He is the GM of LATimes.com. He's going to come in and talk about how traditional media is migrating online. Uh, We're going to have Tim Borkwin uh, of TNC New Media and um, of the Podcast Brothers podcast. He's going to come in and talk about podcasting with Dan Klass of The Bitterest Pill uh, and many others. So if you're interested in attending that class, um, it will be a I think a really comprehensive primer on how to integrate new media into traditional media and marketing campaigns, PR campaigns, what have you. Um, You can get more information at www.schwartzmanpr.com. And now we are going to play for you the interview with Jeff Mayfield that comes to you entirely unedited after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. 
Jeff, you're the director of charts and a senior analyst at Billboard. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you do on a daily basis. I oversee Billboard's charts department. That's the biggest part of my job. Uh, we have about a dozen people that oversee the data that comes in, and, and that's making sure that, that we get the best use out of the data that's provided to us by Nielsen Music and Nielsen Entertainment. Uh, our primary sources that people best know are, are Nielsen SoundScan, which collects sales from more than 90% of the U.S. retail marketplace, and Nielsen BDS, Broadcast Data Systems, which tracks radio airplay in more than 120 markets. Um, it's similar to SoundScan, except that uh, to track radio airplay, you don't need uh, uh, radio station's permission. You can listen to the radio. So we actually have uh, monitors that track the actual airplay uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, fed to a computer that knows what the various songs sound like, and that way you can break out charts either by number of times it's played in a particular format, or you can use the most recent ratings and, and track uh, approximately how many people heard that song according to the market size, stations, audience reach, and time of day played. So that a song played at 3 o'clock in the morning in a small market doesn't count as much as a song played at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in New York. Um, so our, our job in the charts department is to make sure that, that all these cool tools we get from Nielsen Music are, are being used to their best uh, uh, resource. Is there a new genre that we should track? Is there a new radio format that we need to stay on top of? And, and, and also we provide some quality control to the, uh, to the Nielsen streams as well. So you've been doing this for 21 years. Oh, I've been at Billboard for 21 years, yes. How, has, how have the charts changed as a result of digital technology? I mean, we know about the, the blood in the streets from Napster, mm -hmm. but post-Napster, how have things changed? Well, I mean, you know, you looked at the magazine 20 years ago, we had a lot fewer charts. Um, and uh, that was also prior to the, to the metrics that we have provided from our, our new systems. Billboard was actually an original investor in BDS. Uh, SoundScan uh, was an outside uh, company when we first began working with them, and now they are part of the same VNU family as we are. But, you know, the, the, the biggest difference is when we had data provided to us as opposed to, to tracking it automatically. You, you had to count on people being honest with you, and frankly, that didn't always happen. And the charts were also slower back then. When you, when, when you weren't dealing with specific metrics, um, the, the, the charts tended to be slower than they are now when they're, when they're based on real point-of-sale data from, from sales or on, on, on real uh, radio airplay as opposed to, well, I, I, think, I think the radio, the record company wants me to report this other song or, or, or what have you. Uh, so that's, that's, I think that's the biggest difference. In terms of, of digital, um, you know, they're, they're, if you look at the way music is consumed now, you're going from an environment where very few songs were being made available for individual sale. Through the late 90s, and, and especially through the early part of this decade, the record companies were providing fewer and fewer hits as retail available singles. And as a result, the consumer stopped looking for them, stores stopped stocking them, and, and you know what the record companies proved uh, irrevocably is if you stop making a product, it won't sell. Now you go from that extreme where there's very few individual songs that are available to, to uh, iTunes and Sony Connect and Walmart.com and all the other download stores that, that are available, Napster, the new Napster. And, and now almost every song on an album uh, can be bought individually for a cheaper price than you used to pay for a single. 
that feeds into a pent-up demand that the consumers had for at least 10 years, which was there's too many albums by acts I don't know well who only have one or two good songs on the album. And, and, and it, you don't hear that complaint about an artist with whom they're in love. You know, if someone's a fan of Bruce Springsteen, they want the Bruce Springsteen album. If someone's a fan of Madonna, they want the Madonna album. But if it's a newer act, they're not so sure. They don't want to make that commitment. They want to, they want to be able to imbibe and, and get the song they've heard on the radio or get the song they've heard on, on, on TV. Um, so we're seeing a different dynamic. Uh, uh, the consumer now has the ability to go ahead and click and just get that one particular song they're interested in. And it, it's one of those dynamics that's really going to change the way that the business is built. So now... It seems to me what you're saying is there's more to measure now. We've there's got a fragmented measure, audience. Yeah. There's more to measure. So now that I've got, I don't know, uh, several dozen charts instead of a handful, how do I, as a marketer, uh, understand what these trends mean in, in mass? Well, first off, I mean, in terms of the, uh, the, the health or lack of health for the overall industry or for specific companies, you have to look at more than one pool now. You can't just look at album sales, which was a handy thing to do even five years ago. Now you have to look at how are things performing in the album market? How are things performing on the digital tracks market? How are things performing in the ringtones market? How are things performing in terms of, of streaming media? You know, because there's just more and more measures now of, of how a record company would get revenue, how an artist would get revenue, how a songwriter gets revenue. So if you want a complete picture now, you're going to have to look at more metrics than you did before. And do you think radio is becoming less important? Uh, and I, let me just preface that by yeah. saying Nielsen Analytics put out a study on podcasting and the summary findings, uh, the big revelation was that if you consume podcasts, you listen to less radio. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the total number of podcast users is a, a, a small number compared to the overall audience of radio listeners. But wh what is the impact of digital media on radio listenership? One of the cautions with, with, with new media um, – it's very exciting, and it is the future, and, and it is dynamic, and it's also where heavy users tend to go. People who really love music were among the first ones to buy MP3 players. People who really love music were among the first ones to sit at their computer and search for music, whether it was to, to get it illegitimately from peer-to-peer -peer or to get it uh, uh, through legitimate uh, uh, streaming or, or, or commerce channels that are offered. Those are your heavy users, and they're still a, a real small market. I mean, as much as digital downloads have grown, uh, in the album market, digital downloads account for more than twice the number of transactions and more than twice the market share that they did a year ago, but that's still just 5%. So it's an exciting dynamic, and you'll see different kinds of titles show up in that marketplace as, as, as compared to the overall marketplace, but those are probably not the consumers that make records multi-platinum. The consumers that make records multi-platinum are not your die-hard music fans. It's your casual fan who takes longer to get to know what's in the marketplace. So, I mean, that's one of the dangers uh, with, with satellite radio or, or any of the other new delivery systems. They're very dynamic, they're very exciting, and they really titillate that, that voracious music consumer. But they're probably not the channels that that the everyday consumer is using to get a hold of music. So, 
you know, in terms of radio's relevance, uh, yeah, if I'm a heavy podcaster user or if I'm someone who has an MP3 player, I'm programming my own radio station. You know, amazingly, every time I turn on my iPod, uh, I'll hear something I like because I only put in there stuff that I like. So uh, uh, that person might spend less time with radio, but I still notice when you look at overall digital track sales or if you look at overall album sales, that stuff that gets played on the radio, uh, that's still the fastest uh, route to get to a hit. The shortest distance to a hit is through radio. Uh, over time, radio very likely will change. Um, but radio has has survived every technology that was supposed to knock it out. I mean, if you were, if you think about it, you and I are too young to, to to have experienced this dynamic. But TV was supposed to have killed radio. It didn't kill radio. It changed radio. So radio will change. It'll respond to it. Um, maybe there'll be more talk stations in some markets. I don't know. But uh, I, I still find that radio is the shortest distance to a hit. Now I was born and raised in Los Angeles, and I can remember going to Tower Records on Sunset. That was really a, an activity. So when they shuttered Tower Records on Sunset, uh, an institution had mm -hmm. been closed for many of us. And uh, my question is, do you think the reason that retailers are having such a tough time is because you no longer need to buy an entire CD because you can buy a, a single as a digital download? Or is it just too expensive to do business in the brick-and-mortar world versus online? That's a great question because... There's been a temptation, even by by some big media, to to to, to oversimplify the dilemma that put Tower where it is. Um, I, I just saw a story on NBC uh, on, on the Saturday afternoon newscast. Uh, uh, it was a report where they it was it was a great example of using accurate statistics to tell an inaccurate story. They talked about how there were fewer music chain stores in the in the market now there's 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 less than 2000 stores now uh, whereas if you looked at the market in 1992 um, there were more than 4000 probably around 5000 chain stores uh, and they they looked at how cd sales last year declined by 8% and how digital album sales had 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 more than doubled okay unless you tell the consumer that that same year, 92% of the music that was sold was still in a physical format. That's a very misleading uh, a set of metrics to put out there. And then on top of it, the only reporting they did, besides those statistics, was to interview one guy at Newsweek who said that he went to Tower during the closeout sale and he didn't find it compelling. He went home and bought stuff on iTunes. Okay, that's his experience. That's not every person's experience. The individual song being made available uh, is a dynamic that we're still reckoning with. It's, it's one that we're still becoming familiar with, but it's, it's, not, the, it's not the only uh, uh, beast that a Tower Records was dealing with. Uh, there's also a variable that, that retailers have been dealing with for a long time, for more than 20 years, and that is predator pricing. Um, you can go to Best Buy, you can go to Walmart, you can go to Target, and, and you'll find music at, at a cheaper price than a music store, a conventional music store, can afford to sell it. Because they're using that product to get you into the store to buy other things that have a higher margin. And that's a strategy that the full catalog music store can't really utilize as much. Um, 
And on top of it, there's a new dynamic, whereas not only do you have a cheaper price in play at a lot of stores, but those same stores are given special editions that have extra tracks or access to tracks on the internet or a t-shirt or a cap. And now, if you're a, a music fan, why would you buy your favorite band at your favorite music store when you can go over to Best Buy and, and get it cheaper with extra stuff? And, and, and so now, for at least two years, the dynamic has been that at least half the albums that are sold in any individual week are sold at, a, at one of the price leader uh, chains. And it's, it's really siphoned off some of the consumers who used to go to, to, uh, to full, you know, full catalog music stores. Let's talk for a minute about um, copyright. Mm -hmm. Now, most of what you're measuring is copyrighted. That's mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Are you measuring any uncopyrighted usage? We have access to data from Big Champagne, which which does not confine itself to copyrighted material. Uh, you know, Big Champagne started measuring peer to peer when peer to peer, you know, was 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 the outlaw, was the pioneer, and and they still get that data. So when they track, they're not just tracking legitimate streams; they're tracking whatever music activity is out there. We don't use. Big Champagne for a an official Billboard chart. However, we do in in uh, Radio and Records, which is our radio magazine. Um, and before that, when, when when we had a different publication called Billboard Radio Monitor, we do use uh, uh, that data in there uh, because it's it's an important indicator that radio programmers and promotion people are already using. And you know, at some point, it may be appropriate to use that with with the mainstream Billboard charts. Uh, but yeah, it's something that you have to keep your eye on. Given uh, the fact that the really only the current legislation out there is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act mm -hmm. uh, to govern the fair usage of uh, digital download. Um, do you think that that legislation has some difficulties? And if so, what, what might they be? Some of what I know about uh, restrictions that were put on on how you put music on the internet are, are are just bizarre to me. Like you can't have a conventional countdown show on an internet channel, yeah, uh, you know, because there's there's some kind of weird legislation against it. So uh, I, I'm sure that the rules made sense at the time they were drafted. I have a suspicion that they will go through radical change. Um, you know, there's also. Um, there's also a cultural change that's going to happen within record companies. If you talk to some people at record companies, they are very much about digital rights management as, as it's currently structured. If you talk to someone younger, uh, you know, they might be more of the attitude of, hey, if I bought a CD, I could do with it whatever I wished, so why should it be any different when I buy a digital track? And there will be a debate that unfolds. and and. Once record companies have a chance to rearrange their economics so that they are not as dependent on selling a thing called an album, whether that album is sold on LP, tape, CD, or digitally, uh, you have to remember that record companies have, have for decades been based on, on selling a collection of songs. And that's really what's been driving the marketplace. So they're going to have to transform themselves from companies that make dollars from, from dollars as opposed to companies that make dollars from pennies. And I think that's something that's doable, but until they get there, there's, there's, there's going to be a temptation to cling to protecting things as much as possible. And that's a dynamic that, you know, if you talk to legislators that are copyright friendly, they're gonna be influenced by that. 
I think in time, change is inevitable, and, 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 and certainly the way laws are, are structured now could be very different even just a few years from now. Given uh, that, uh, that this is the case, do you see the record labels potentially losing bargaining power with the artists with respect to uh, ownership of publishing rights and, uh, and masters? You know, when, when, when the Internet first happened, I used to hear a lot of people with independent labels say, oh, you know, they were rubbing their hands together. Oh, this is great. Now I can go directly to the consumer. Uh, you know, I don't need to worry about stores. I don't have to worry about dealing with big distributors. And I think what we learned pretty quickly was that the everyday consumer, and again, not not the diehard music fan, but the but the but the consumer who makes gold records into multi-platinum records, that shopper is not looking for music I never heard of. com. So there's this real sexy notion, and there has been since Napster, that. You know, not only will record stores become dinosaurs, but that that record companies themselves will become obsolete. Instead, what I would argue is that there is limitless choice because of digital distribution. I mean, the, 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 there are already more albums being released than any store, no matter what size, could digest, unless you're talking about a virtual store like Amazon or Tower.com. Um, there are already in the vicinity of 30,000 albums being released when it was only physical. Last year, as a result of digital distribution, the number of albums you could buy, including the ones you could buy in cyberspace, more than doubled. There were more than 60,000 album titles that were, that were released in the marketplace last year, if you include the digital stuff. That's more than anyone can keep track of. Even your diehard music fan can't keep up with that much volume. So when you have that much stuff to choose from, the role of the record company doesn't, it changes from, I'm going to help you get this stuff to stores, to I'm going to help differentiate you from all the other choices the consumer has to make. I'm going to help the consumer find Josh Groban, who's not going to be played on a top 40 radio station. I'm going to help the consumer find Andrea Bocelli, who, again, is not going to get you know any kind of pop format airplay. So you know I think the job of the record company becomes to differentiate the artists who really have quality and, and, and very much might be something that, that the consumer is looking for. Tell us about this uh, new chart that was announced today. Uh, I know there's a story in the USA Today about it. We have a new chart called uh, uh, Hot Ringmasters, which will be tracking the ringtones that are based on, on master recordings. We introduced our first chart in October of 2004 in the ringtone space. Uh, and, and back then it was just polyphonics and monophonics. What we were really intrigued to find was our very first number one sold about 97,000 copies, which may not sound like much, but that was more than double the biggest week we'd, we'd seen to that point for digital tracks. And, and let's look at the comparison. Polyphonic was a 30-second replication and a cheap replication of your favorite song. It wasn't Usher singing. It was a synthesizer playing Usher's song. And yet we were selling more than twice as many of those as a full-length U2 track where you could get the whole thing for 99 cents and listen to it as many times as you want all the way through. We were blown away at how popular this thing was. We knew it was big, but we had no idea it was that big. So uh, for several weeks over the next, say, uh, eight months or 12 months, most weeks the number one polyphonic was, was way ahead of the number one digital track, even with the growth that you saw in digital tracks after Christmas. Each Christmas, digital track volume goes up because a lot of people get MP3 players under the Christmas tree. And, and, and so for a while, the polyphonic was really ahead. 
Um, then we started to see after about a year or so that the, that the metrics were, were going down. And, and, and the obvious thing was there were more phones in the marketplace that could play the master recording. There were more selections available from record companies as master recordings. And if you're a kid, you want to hear the real thing. You want to hear 50 Cent. You, want, you don't want to hear a synthesizer pretending like it's 50 Cent. You want to hear 50 Cent. So um, we knew we had to get into this, in, into this game as soon as we could. And we were getting the data from, from uh, a, a new Nielsen mobile platform called Nielsen RingScan. It will be measuring, uh, it already measures 80% of the, uh, of the retail base for, uh, for this product. And again, we're, we're finding the kinds of numbers in this space that we used to see in polyphonics. Our first number one, uh, it's a song by Akon, and it sells 164,000 copies, which is notable because that's about 54,000 copies more than the number one digital song this week, which is another Akon track. So um, we're getting the kind of numbers now that you used to see in polyphonics a few years ago. And, and notably, you're getting the kind of numbers here that you would have seen for a best-selling single, uh, say, like in the late to uh, mid-90s, mid-90s to late-90s. Final question. When I look at the Billboard data, mm-hmm. and I look at these different charts that are available, what should I be wary of? Where are the holes in the data? Well, our job is to make sure there's not many holes. You know, one thing that, that we don't have represented in our in our uh, m- chart package now that we're really working quickly to do is the streaming data. Uh, BDS does have data from AOL and from Yahoo. So we have two really major carriers. Uh, not too distant future, Rhapsody and others will, will also have that same kind of metric available through BDS. But what we're getting ready to do now is to take that and make that one of the ingredients that formulates uh, one of our charter charts, which is the Billboard Hot 100. For more than 40 years, uh, that chart has measured popularity in songs, not just by looking at sales or radio, but by looking at both. For a while, in the late 90s and the early part of this decade, that sales quotient became so small because fewer and fewer hits were being made available as retail singles. Um, and, and so in February of 05, we aggregated the digital tracks data that we'd been presenting since 03 and, and, and were able to include those sales into the Hot 100. Um, toward the end of the retail single, instead of being a, 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 a hybrid of radio information and sales information, the Hot 100 was largely radio information, was like your steak on a plate, and the, the sales data was kind of like the little piece of parsley on top of the steak. Now, it's more like a casserole. You know, there's enough data that we're getting from sales that we can have a, a more democratic chart. And, and, and now, you know, we have that combination. So we're going to add to that recipe the streaming data. And, um, and, and that'll get us closer to having a more comprehensive picture. And, and, and truly, one of the things that we want to keep doing, you know, we added digital tracks in 03. We added the ringtones from Polyphonic in 04. We aggregated the data in 05 to have a digital songs chart as opposed to individual tracks. And, and now in 06, we have the, the, the new master uh, ringtones chart that, 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 that we just introduced. So we don't want to be in a corner where we have great 
sales charts and great radio charts, we will always keep looking at the marketplace. We'll always keep looking at what consumers, uh, how consumers get music. And, and we'll, if it becomes meaningful, we're going to make sure that that's part of what we're doing. Jeff Mayfield, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.